Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Now we have four Gospels in the Bible, four accounts of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, four portraits of the Messiah. Each of the gospel writers give us a little different angle on Jesus. There's some crossover. Matthew presents Jesus as the king, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Many, many times in the gospel of Matthew, you will find him reaching back into the prophets, saying the prophet predicted this. In fact, in Matthew's, Matthew's gospel, you find a genealogy of Jesus Christ going back to David, showing that Jesus is the legitimate king of Israel. So Matthew's gospel is focused largely on a Jewish audience, but not just exclusively Jewish. As you go to Mark's gospel, Mark focuses on the servant. The key verse is Mark 10, 45. Jesus said that even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark's gospel, which we will study, is fast moving. It gets uh, really to the heart of the matter without going into the birth narrative or uh, spending a lot of time on the history and genealogy of Jesus. It shows Jesus as a miracle worker, his power over demons, disease, and death. It shows his heart for the people. It's the love of God in action. Luke, um, probably the only Gentile writer in the New Testament, presents Jesus as the perfect man, the son of man. Luke is a medical doctor, so he spends a lot of time talking about Jesus' history and going back into, the, into his childhood, tells about him going to the temple when he was 12 years old, and shows us in the key verse, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to, remember, save that which was lost. The beautiful story of the prodigal son is in Luke chapter 15. And then John presents Jesus as deity or God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Each gospel writer giving us a little bit of a different angle taken together. You can see that what the Holy Spirit is doing with the four gospel writers is to give you a more complete picture of Jesus Christ. So it's important that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get the full portrait of who Jesus is. He is the perfect man, 100% man, 100% God, and he came into the world to save us from our sins. His arrival has changed and dated the calendar of the world. You can do whatever you want to try to criticize Scripture, to try to criticize Christ, but you cannot change history. Your view of history is important. How you view the arrival of the Messiah is important. There have been many critics, many people who have come at the Bible and at Jesus in a uh, sense of trying to destroy him, but you can't change the facts. The facts, they are the facts. Now, there's an interesting story. It's recorded in a book um, that uh, chronicles the life of two budding evangelists, and uh, the the story is written in the Case for Christ and the Case for Faith, written by Lee Strobel. Really quick, Lee Strobel was a news reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He was an atheist. 
His wife became a Christian, became a Christian, and uh, he was an alcoholic, and so he was struggling with her decision to follow Christ, and he was very critical of the Christian uh, worldview and of faith in Jesus Christ. And so he began a mission as a reporter to try to disprove Christianity. And the more he wrestled with the documents and the eyewitness testimony, he was gloriously converted to Jesus Christ. And Lee Strobel became a Christian. Many of you have heard him speak on, in many different places and venues. He tells the story of Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. Both contemporaries, both met early on in their ministries, and both began to preach the gospel. And Billy, of course, uh, many of us uh, know all that he has done around the world. But at some point in Charles Templeton's life, he went on a different path. He had a crisis, call it a crisis of faith. He began to doubt the biblical record. In fact, some of his uh, doubts came as a result of Darwinian evolution and the argument for the universe coming from uh, all of you know, the evolutionary periods and all of that stuff. Of course, if you've looked at that recently, and if you're new to things about the Christian faith, I would just say to you, just look at the evidence for Darwinian evolution. It is absolutely bankrupt. In fact, there are scientists who would not call themselves Christians right now who are trying to come up with other uh, views to explain the universe because Darwin's theory is pretty much gone. Now, it's still being taught in textbooks as fact, but it's bankrupt. The evidence and the science will lead you back to a creator. There is no doubt about it. But Charles Templeton struggled with that, and he struggled with some other things. For example, he saw a magazine cover, as I recall the story, where there was a woman somewhere, I think, in Africa carrying a dead baby because it had not rained for quite some time. And he asked the question, how could a God of love not allow it to rain there? And that picture spoke you know, 10,000 words to his soul. And so he abandoned the Christian faith and he began to write books against Christianity. And so as he got older, this was all happening in the 1930s and 40s, and he was about the same age as Billy Graham. As he got older, he came down with Alzheimer's. And so uh, Strobel realized uh, he had come across Templeton's story. So he wanted to find out what was happening with this guy. And at this point, when Strobel's writing the book, I think Templeton is about in his 80s. He's got Alzheimer's, and somehow Strobel's able to get an appointment with Charles Templeton. He begins to engage him and ask him questions, and even though he had Alzheimer's, he was lucid at times, and he was able to communicate and have conversations. And finally, after discussions about various subjects, Strobel asked the question, he said, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? What do you do with him? And uh, Templeton said, quote, He's the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and it led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except, except that this was a form of greatness? Strobel says, I was taken aback. You sound like you really care about him, I said. Well, Yes, he is the most important thing in my life. Now, this is a man who is now writing books against the Christian faith and claims to be at least an agnostic. He said, I, I, he's stuttering now, searching for the right word. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, 
I adore him. Strobel was struck. He says, everything good I know, Templeton speaking, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I've learned from Jesus. Yes, yes. And tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. Uh, but, but no, he said slowly, he's the most. He stopped, then he started again. In my view, he declared he's the most important human being who has ever existed. That's when Templeton uttered the words, says Strobel, I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, said Templeton, his voice began to crack. I miss him. With that, tears flooded his eyes. He turned his head and he looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. Templeton fought to compose himself. I could tell it wasn't like him to lose control in front of a stranger. He sighed deeply and wiped away a tear. After a few more awkward moments, he waved his hand dismissively. Finally, quietly, but adamantly, he insisted, enough of that, close quote. You know, we have people in our world who, even though they have a crisis of faith, you can't fight it. Jesus Christ will change you. When you get into the Gospels and you speak of Christmas time, I was telling the staff this recently, we, we meet every Tuesday morning and we spend a lot of time in ministry trying to remind people not to lose Christ in Christmas. And I told the staff, let's not us do that. Let's not us be so busy about ministry that we lose Christ in Christmas. And one thing I would challenge you to do this Christmas season as the clock is ticking and the days will quickly pass and we'll put away all the decorations in no time at all is don't lose Christ in Christmas. He will change your life. He will change your perspective about everything. E.V. Uh, Rue uh, this is uh, from R. Kent Hughes, and he opens his commentary on Mark this way. Some years ago, one of the world's renowned scholars of the classics, Dr. E.V. Ryu, completed a great translation of Homer into modern English for the Penguin Classic series. He was 60 years old, and he, he had been an agnostic all his life. An agnostic just means some, somebody who just is really not sure about God and about faith. The publisher soon approached him again and asked him to translate the Gospels. When Ryu's son heard this, he said, it will be interesting to see what father will make of the four Gospels. It will be even more interesting to see what the four Gospels make of father. He did not have to wonder very long. Within a year's time, E.V. Ryu, the lifelong agnostic, responded to the Gospels he was translating and became a committed Christian. His story is a marvelous testimony to the transforming power of God's word. Experiences like this have been repeated time and time and time again. The Bible changes people. Jesus Christ changes lives. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I met him about 30 years ago. I had come out of a religious home. I had wandered away from... Um, at least 
practicing or following God. Uh, my family stopped going to church when I was about 13 or 14 years old. There was a lot of dysfunction in the family, like a lot of you come from, and I lost my way. And I began to listen to my friends, and I began to just kind of say, well, the world's a mess anyway, so I'm going to just party and do what I want to do. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. And a woman that I was doing business with invited me to a church service when I was about 19 or 20 years old. And that's when I was first exposed to the truth that I'm going to share with you this morning. I had heard about Jesus. I knew some facts about God. I even would say that I feared God in some ways. But I was living like a fool. My life and the the course of my life was not to please him. It was not to honor him. And in fact, I would have to say that in my own personal journey, I was doing a lot of damage uh, to myself and to others. And so I met him. I met him on the pages of the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired word, and it is able to change your life. I met him in a place that many of you have met him. Uh, I met him in a church service where a preacher began to preach, and I felt like he had been following me for about the last five years, <laughs> which is a unique experience, isn't it? Like, what in the world's going on here? How does this person know so much about my life? Well, it's because it's the story of all of us. We all come into the world broken. We all need a savior. And the good news is that he did come. Mark opens his gospel. We'll just look at the first three verses together by stating these words, Mark 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning... The Greek word is arche. It's where we get the English word architect. The beginning of the gospel, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion of Jesus Christ, Mark 1.1, the son of God. Now, I mentioned to you that Mark does not spend time on the birth of Jesus. He does not go back to Jesus visiting the temple at 12 years old. He opens the gospel, fast moving, getting right to the heart of the matter. Now, some of you might ask the question, you might not be very familiar with the history of these writers, is who is Mark? Well, Mark was known as John Mark. John was his Hebrew or Jewish name. Mark was his Roman name. And oftentimes, people in the ancient world did have two names. And he was known as John Mark. He had a wealthy, prominent mother. The early church met in their home. And Mark encountered the gospel. And in fact, Mark went on a missionary journey, the first missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. He was somehow you know, connected to that journey, and he left. He bailed on the mission. He turned around and went home. We don't know why. Some people think it was because of the rough travel. Some people think it was because he didn't expect to get persecution and to, to be abused as he tried to preach the gospel. Whatever the reason was, and he was probably a younger man, he turned tail, and it upset the Apostle Paul. 
Uh, Paul and, and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, argued about John Mark. John Mark was somehow related to Barnabas. Some people think that they were cousins. And there was an argument between Paul and Barnabas. And it turns out that uh, Paul and Barnabas got so heated in this quarrel that they split. And uh, Paul took Silas and went in one direction and Barnabas went with John Mark in another direction. And so Mark would, knew what it was to fail. And it is interesting to note that uh, scholars would say that Mark's writing, his gospel, are the thoughts of Peter. That Mark was Peter's interpreter. In 1 Peter 5, I think it's verse 13, Peter calls Mark my son. There was a close relationship between Peter and Mark. And early church fathers confirm that Peter's thoughts are behind Mark's gospel. The earliest testimony is from Papias the Bishop of Hierapolis, he writes around A.D. 140, quoting an earlier source, and he claimed that Mark is, uh, was Peter's interpreter and he wrote an accurate gospel. Justin Martyr, writing about A.D. 150 in Rome, confirmed that Mark wrote down Peter's recollection of events. Most agree that Mark wrote his gospel in Rome under Peter's supervision. It's also confirmed by Irenaeus in France in A.D. 180. It's repeated by Tertullian and Clement of Alexandria. These are all early church fathers in North Africa. They wrote around 200. And uh, Clement and, uh, of Alexandria and Origen insist that Peter was alive when Mark wrote. Others say that pa Peter had died and Mark wrote in the late 60s. And then there's some tradition that says that Mark wrote during the reign of Claudius between 41 and 54 AD. Some modern scholars date Mark as early as 50 AD. And just to give you an idea, Jesus died probably around 33 AD. So any History Channel programs that you hear that claim that the Gospels were not even penned until centuries later is bogus. That's a Latin word, bogus. <laughs> it's nonsense, okay? The, the Gospels were well established by the end of the first century, Canons were put together, that is, lists of books were put together to deal with heretics because heretics were trying to add Gnostic writings. Later, alleged gospels where people penned them and they were not inspired by God. And since they were trying to force them as uh, uh, inspired literature, then canon lists came along. But look, the 27 books of the New Testament were well established in the Christian community by the end of the first century. In fact, there's, an early, there's a, a tradition that says that Mark may have written in the late 30s AD. Now, scholars say that they probably don't hold that view, but that would be within something like seven to 10 years of the events. Either way, the Holy Spirit promised to bring back full recollection of those events, and Peter was an eyewitness, was he not? Now, think about it. Mark failed, and Peter and Mark probably felt a kinship because of dual failure. Mark bailed on the first missionary journey and Peter confidently said, Lord, though all deny you, I will never, I will die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, you this very night will say that you don't know me three times before the cock crows. You'll disown me. And Peter did. And when Peter did what he did and the rooster crowed, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. And I'm sure that Mark and Peter found a kinship in failure. 
Mark was restored to gospel ministry uh, some time later, it became useful to the Apostle Paul. That's recorded in 2 Timothy 4, 11. Send for Mark, he's become useful for me. So there was a reconciling. And Peter, of course, was reinstituted into gospel ministry by that campfire where fish were cooking on the beach in John 21. Peter, do you love me? Then go and take care of my sheep. You see, I want to tell you something about the people who wrote books of the Bible. They were not perfect. Mark failed. Peter failed. Maybe you failed. You know, maybe over the years you felt a calling on your life and maybe you had a crisis of faith or maybe you took a left turn instead of a right turn and you find yourself here this morning saying, Lord, can you use somebody like me? Maybe you've made a big blunder. Maybe you've made more than one. Welcome to the club. God uses broken people who have made mistakes. Even people who might consider themselves at this very moment a failure. I've got good news for you. God uses broken people. If he didn't, he couldn't use anybody because we're all broken. Amen? So be of good cheer. Now, Sin, uh, and when we make mistakes, we don't use grace as an excuse for our sin. But I want to give you encouragement that, you know, here's a gospel writer, Mark. Some think he's the earliest gospel writer, and he failed. He writes Peter's thoughts, and Peter failed. Yet they were both mightily used by God to change the world. Mark's key verse is found in Mark 10, 45. Just skip ahead for a second. Mark 10, look at verse 45 with me. It says these words, and, and a lot of the Gospels will have like a key theme verse, and this would be the one I would point to for Mark 10.45. It says, for even the Son of Man, that's a title uh, Jesus used of himself from Daniel 7. He is fully man and fully God. He did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus said that when the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest. Go back to Mark chapter one. And Jesus had to constantly remind them that they were not in the world to be served, but to serve. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Jesus gives an image of somebody who's sitting at the table like at a restaurant and who is gonna be waited on by a waiter or a server. And he asks the question, which person is greater? The one at the table being waited upon or the waiter? And of course, the natural response is, well, the one greater is the one being waited upon. But Jesus says, but I have come as one who serves. He illustrated this in John chapter 13 when he uh, began to wash the disciples' feet and they had to be shocked. He was taking the position of the lowest slave and he said, do you know what I've done to you? You call me master and Lord and you're right, that's what I am. If I, your Lord, washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Blessed are you if you what? Do these things. Do you find at Christmas time that, you know, uh, in the hubbub and all the things that start going on, you can become very self-focused. It can be about what gifts you want. You make your little list, right? Well, this year, I've only got 17 things that I want. And... <laughs> And you, you, you begin to text and email the list of various people. I just want you to be aware 
this year what I'm looking for. <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. Whose birthday is it? <laughs> right? And so we can, be, we can get caught up in all this stuff. We can get caught up in everything that's going on. We, we met and we did a Bible study and I, we were looking at the story of the three wise men that came from the east, these priestly kings, Parthian class, you know, hundreds of miles from the area of Iran. And they come searching for the king. They saw his star in the east and they've come to what? Worship him. They're probably a huge entourage on horses, regally dressed. And when they got to the house, the star, which was supernatural, it had to be hovered over the house. I wonder almost if it had one of those pointy signs, you know, he's in there, he's in there. They came later, of course. Jesus was already in a house, not in the manger. So your manger scenes, I'm sorry, if you have a nativity scene that has the three wise men there, it's incorrect. They were not there the night he was born. So take your wise men and just put them a little farther off over here, okay? They may have been traveling. Jesus was at least a couple months old when they got there. Some believe he could have been as much as two years old. Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Michael in the studio. We have a new series going on right now, and it's the Gospel of Mark. Pastor Michael, we have a question. It's basically Christianity 101. For those who already are learned, this could be a refresher, but also an insight for those who have heard of these terms but don't know what they mean, who are listening to Christian Radio for the first time. What does the word gospel mean? And it's great that you bring it up on this new series, Oscar, because we open, the, the Gospel of Mark opens with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Gospel is a, a Greek word, euangelion. And when you look it up, like, you, you would look up a, a Greek word like you would look up something in an English dictionary. You'll see, like, good news or a good story. Um, and, and so, think about in life when you've received some good news, whatever it may be. You know, it could be for somebody that a, a new baby's been born into the family. Mm -hmm. It could be that someone got a promotion. It could be that, you know, someone went through a surgery and, and it worked out okay. Um, it could be that uh, a person serving in the military came home safely. Mm -hmm. Th there's a lot of different things that we would say, man, that's great news. That's good news. Mm -hmm. I I'm glad. Well, think of the best news that you could ever receive on this planet, whatever it may be, the birth of our children, the our wedding day, um, you know, we might think of the Dodgers winning the World Series. <laughs> That'd be pretty good news. But anyway, um, good news, something to celebrate, something to say, wow, that, that's awesome. Uh, this is the best of all best news that God came into the world to save us. The, the gospel is the story about Jesus about who he is, why he came, what he did for us, what that means to us. So just in a basic sense, it's the good news about salvation. We get saved from the wrath, saved from the consequences of sin, which is spiritual death and ultimately judgment. Mm -hmm. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is that God came to rescue us and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's the good news of the gospel. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at livingtruthcorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.